Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a foreign dreamer who started from being a flight attendant and worked her way up into now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and seasoned entrepreneur in multiple successful ventures. This podcast is for the awakened dreamer. Industry icons will share their humble beginnings up to the leaders they are today. Let's all learn and be inspired. Together, we can all prosper. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. It's a podcast for the dreamers, more importantly, the doers. I'm your host, Melody. Are you an entrepreneur who feel you need to get unstuck, find a purpose, create a meaningful life? Well, our today's guest is a business and career coach who is also a mentor to the unconventional. She has a master's in philosophy, over 22 years in business experience. She has uh, founded several startup companies, an investor in cryptocurrency, a public speaker, and a consultant. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Morielle Marie. Hey, Morielle, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, Melody. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Well, let's begin. If you could share with our audience uh, your backstory on how your life was before being a successful business coach. Hmm, straight into the, the meat of the subject. The I love it. Exactly. Um, dive in. So <laughs> we dive in. <laughs> so I've been um, an entrepreneur for more than 22 years. And prior to becoming a coach, now about eight years ago, I built and ran and then eventually exited a web agency. So a lot of my experience and entrepreneurial experience stems from the digital world, the web world. And from there, at a certain point, I felt like I was done with that world and it was time for me to do something else. And in a way, to go back to my initial passions and to the initial things that I wanted as a child and an adolescent, and that was to write, to teach, to learn, to create, to help people. And that's how I sort of transitioned into coaching. Into coaching now. In terms of you being a business coach, right? Mm -hmm. What would you share with our audience in terms of what most entrepreneurs face in terms of all the choices, you know, that are out there and how to overcome those overwhelming, those overanalysis of, of things that they need to juggle. How can an entrepreneur deal with those types of dilemma? Mm. Well, you know, I want to start by saying it's probably one of the biggest dilemmas that people have to deal with because it's really about what idea, what project should I choose? Like how to, how to give my time to something? Should I give it to this, to that? Should I give a little bit of my time to this thing and then a little bit to that other thing? Or should I go in on one idea, et cetera, et cetera? So there is a lot of overthinking going on and overthinking. So my, the way that I very often speak of my work is I say I help people get unstuck. Mm. 
And when I talk about getting unstuck, what I mean is getting over that overthinking phase, getting over the inaction, and somehow getting people to move, you know, past what is blocking them and, and into movement again. And so I would say that tip number one, and it's not an easy one, but tip number one for overcoming overthinking is actually to do something. It's actually to choose something. It's actually to try something out because at the end of the day, you can never think yourself into a business. You cannot think yourself into a career. You actually have to go out and do it. So, and, and when you do, when you take the first step, you know, when you make a choice, what's really interesting is, especially when you realize it's not what you want, it's something you feel in your body, but at least from that moment on, you do not have to keep that potential project, whatever, into consideration, because now you know it's something you don't want to do. And the same is true for the stuff you actually want to pursue. You, can, you really can't think yourself into feeling whether or not it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the thinking and the feeling you know, have to definitely be there. And I hear you, regardless of how lofty the goals and ideas are, if there's no action, then it means zero. It means nothing. <laughs> Yes. So I, I am with you on, on uh, taking that action regardless. It's always easier to do corrective um, measures, you know, later, but to the inaction part, uh, you know, as you mentioned, is I think uh, the main the main disease <laughs> and the main culprit why uh, most entrepreneurs really couldn't show for, for anything, right? Would you agree? Yeah, and it's very often because we want to be sure that what we choose is going to make us feel good, right? In a way, because we were talking about emotions. And I think we forget this too often. We we always phrase it as we want it to be the right ID. But what does that really mean? It's never only about a business. It's never only about is this ID viable? It's also about am I going to be happy pursuing it? And you really have to feel this in your body. I have this friend. This is, this is just a little side note, if that's okay. I have this friend who, whenever he's questioning what suit to wear, what tie to choose, will ask someone. Not because he's going to follow the advice of the other person, but when the other person tells him, oh, you should pick the blue one or the brown one, he immediately feels, I don't want to wear the blue one. So mm. then the choice is made. And it's really the same when we are contemplating many ideas. You don't even, I mean, I'm not advocating for people to try out all of the business ideas they have and really try to build them into businesses. But you can always find one step, a small step that you can take that isn't a life or death situation that isn't going to cause you depth or, you know, other issues, but that's going to help you to really feel whether or not you want to pursue that idea. Mm-hmm. So, so knowing what you want, contemplating on what you want. And I think you're, you're right on, on, on the feeling part. Mm-hmm. And I know there is a quote from, uh, from Einstein about, you know, for most people, for most men, they make knowledge, they make, you know, all the skill sets as their master when the truth is, you really have to utilize the gift of uh, intuition. 
which is the feeling part, you know, knowing the emotion and your gut, you know, what is it really that you feel? Because for the most part, there is that compass, you know, your internal guiding system, as they say, you know, so books can give you so much, right? But it only gives, could only give you so much. <laughs> exactly. You need the aid of, of, of that feeling, that emotion, because that will really guide you as to your, your, your kind of true compass, you know, what really makes Morielle tick. And for our audience, you know, uh, you got to really step back and say, okay, with all these choices, what do you really feel, you know, in, in your heart? <laughs> you know, it could sound like a cliche, but, but that's the absolute truth. You know, if it doesn't resonate with your being, then maybe it's time to shift and, and look at something else, right? Absolutely. Because you also, and I love that quote from Einstein. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And, and I remember him really saying that even when he was explaining how he got to the the theory of relativity right like the like a world changing scientific discovery whatever you want to call it and he let himself of course he did a lot of work a lot of math a lot of thinking we're not saying he didn't do that but he also followed the hunch and and i think we're we're all constantly feeling hunches our intuition is always speaking to us but the more you overthink the more you silence it Right. So sometimes you need to have the courage to listen to it and then do something. So, so if you, if we, if we take what Einstein said, and then you couple that with what Steve Jobs, you know, both crazy, you know, visionaries and creative geniuses. He also said, you know, how do you, how do you make the patterns? It's by connecting connecting all those dots, right? Mm -hmm. So, and following that silent voice <laughs> within. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, dealing with, dealing with entrepreneurs, Muriel, you mentioned also the term creative generalist. Can you mm -hmm. expound on that? Yes, sure. Thank you for that question. So creative generalist is what's commonly called a multi-passionate creative. You find a lot of them amongst entrepreneurs. And one of the main characteristics that creative generalists have is that they don't really specialize into a particular subject, but they sort of glance over a very wide area of different topics of interest. And especially now with the rise of so many entrepreneurs infopreneurs, you name it, you know, freedom, freedom seekers, like location independent people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We all need to be able to master a lot of different skills, right? We're currently doing a podcast. We're doing that on a computer. You're very savvy at it. I saw that everyone before we started and <laughs> that Melody knows really what she's doing. So, but these are all different skills we need to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And the modern world asks much more creative generalists, so creative entrepreneurs. I don't want to, I don't want to really say they're exactly the same, but there is a lot of creative generalists within the entrepreneurial sort of arena than experts. It used to be that everybody 
needed to go to school, choose a subject, go to university or, you know, whatever college, and then become that. Mm-hmm. That's no longer true. Now, what we see is that people decide to start businesses. People decide to marry different passions and different areas of interest. We see self-starters. We see people who constantly learn new things. So all of these people somehow, if not completely, at least share a number of characteristics with creative generalists. Mm-hmm. So, so marrying that, marrying all those passions, what would be a good step one, you know, for, for people to know that, hey, you know what? Yes. So let's say uh, with me, there's the podcast, there's the business, there's the, the real estate, etc. So so how do you marry that and still be uh, an, an effective, an effective individual with all those ventures and pockets that one uh, wishes to explore? Mm-hmm. What would be step one, you think? That, that's such a great question. And you know, this is actually one of the hardest things to do for creative generalists. And I would, I would dare to say for creative entrepreneurs as well, because we, we, even when you choose a path as an entrepreneur, when you are working on that business, my guess is every one of us has new ideas new things we want to do, right? Like, oh, this could be a good business or, or I could do something with this or whatever. And the more you understand business, the more you start to have these sort of flashes of, of I don't know, insight into everything mm-hmm. that you could be besides what you already are. So it's one of the hardest things, right? Mm-hmm. To first be bombarded with all of these ideas as you are actually building something. And then to sort of start to marry them and not stick to one thing only. So one thing that I always advise clients to do is to find a way to store all of these ideas so that they can take them out of their heads and put them somewhere for a while, not forever, while they're building something and that needs their attention. So the way that I do that is I have a notepad on my computer. It's I have Apple products, so it's shared over all of my Apple products, so I can always access my list, add to it, etc. And a second thing, and I think this is a very important one too, it's not about starting something and then stopping and starting something new. That's the way to do it, right? Some creative generalists do it like that. We call them serial specialists because they will be specialist in one area for a while, then they will stop and then they will do something else, right? So one business, then another, then another. But there are many more creative generalists who want to do everything all at once, right? The problem with that is you can quickly get into a cycle of, I'm starting this idea, it's not really working out, I'm quitting it and I'm starting something new, which is detrimental to business and entrepreneurship. So what I advise people to do is to start one ID, take it as far as it needs to go, and then start thinking, going back to your notepad, and then start thinking about, oh, what could I add in now? Like, what could be, now that I have a little bit of time, or now that I know this, what could be one helpful for this thing I'm doing? Because very often, our different passions sort of feed off each other and help each other. And or what could be a second interesting business income stream thing that I could do alongside what I'm already doing? Mm-hmm. So building on, on, on something yes. that you have already a very solid footing, right? Yes. Um, so that's 
Actually, personally, where I also uh, struggle because I know there's this book from Napoleon Hill and, and part of what he said is finding your, your, the singleness, the singleness of purpose, right? Or that, that one purpose that you're just going to have your full undivided desire and attention. And when you have that burning, burning desire for that purpose to happen, then that's when things just align and become reality, right? So, so that, that creative generalist of having multiple stuff is, I think, uh, a challenge, you know, for, for a lot of people, because from there, how do you really narrow down and then start with what that one Mm-hmm. That singleness of that that common um, purpose that you would put your heart, soul, and time, energy, effort in, right? And then from there build on. So, so it's a choice. Everything uh, is a choice, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And and I think you're referring to Think and Grow Rich. Is that the book you're referring to from Napoleon? So, I yes, think I think that's the one where he talks about it, right? He also talks about it there, and there's um, another book. I think let me see here. I think I have it here. <laughs> okay. So this one is oh, but this one is different. How to sell your way through through life is okay. another, and there's you know several books okay. that are right there. But definitely, I remember yeah. it was also touched. Uh, on that book, which is a yeah. masterpiece, such a, such a classic, right? Well, yeah. And, you know, I think one thing we cannot forget is the time, the era in which Napoleon Hill wrote those books. Mm. Because it was a very different time, right? It was the time where people needed to be specialists and they needed to have this one thing they could do and then that would give them the money, they, whatever. So, but now we're with the internet, with the rise of social media, with the digital world, things really have changed. Now, it's still true that finding that one thing is so powerful, but I believe it's more of a, it's not per se an activity anymore. It can be a value a way you stand in the world, something that is super important for you. For instance, I have a one thing that drives everything that I do. And it is that I need to be able to be creative. Mm-hmm. And so every new thing I do, everything I do, the start of my coaching business was because I decided I wanted to have a creative life. And this can be true for everyone, right? Another one that's really important for me is to help people get unstuck. I'm doing this now through a coaching business, but I could do it in very different ways. I could help people, I don't know, with loans for their houses, or I could like, you know, build housing that's affordable or like all of these things would also help people get unstuck. So I think you can have values and and use those to sort of give direction to at least the things you want to try and the things that you're not going to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. So listening to you, it also seems to be that honoring, honoring yourself and truly being honest about, about what you truly want, desire, and your values, your, your, your core values. Knowing those, then you're not going to be, you're not going to be, 
everywhere. You're not going to be drifting <laughs> uh, uh, in several directions that do not lead you to your main, to your main passion, your main purpose, and all that good stuff. Now, with 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 those types of generalists, with a multifaceted uh, entrepreneur, which I totally agree with you. I think that's majority. That's majority of of. Um, of the people you know out there in this digital age, how do you help entrepreneurs with managing their calendar and 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 looking at it differently to make it really work for them? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's also such a great question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to a particular type of entrepreneurs, if that's okay with you. The more creative ones entrepreneurs really love to have everything locked into their calendar and you know know exactly what they're going to do using a lot of index cards and colors and all of that what i have found with the people that i support and with creative generalists and creative entrepreneurs in many cases is that we're sort of rebels as well right we have that little rebellious side which is really interesting when we're building businesses because it means that sometimes we dare to take risk and we're not really following all the rules and you know we know how to bend the rules and so all of these things. However, when it comes to planning our time, it can also be a big issue. So I don't know if you've ever ex- experienced this melody. So it's a Sunday night and you're planning out your week, if that's something you do. If not, I'm not saying you should, but I'm advising entrepreneurs in general, especially the starting out ones to to practice that because it's really good to plan your days ahead of time. But so you're there on a Sunday afternoon, the way I do it, and you start to plan, you know, whatever it is you have to do during the week. And on Monday... At 8 a.m. in the morning, you're going to write a blog post and then you're going to tackle your newsletter and then you're going to do something else and then whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Come and, and on Sunday afternoon, when you're finished, you're like, oh, I did such an awesome job. My week is planned. It's going to be fantastic. Come Monday morning, you open your calendar. The first thing you see is you need to write a blog post. The last thing you want to do is to write a blog post. So what happens? You procrastinate, you're trying everything you can to do something else, or you're starting, but it doesn't flow, it's hard, it's not fun. And somehow, somewhere, you sabotage what you have done the day before. And you wonder, you know, what's wrong with me? What have I, why am I not capable of, um, of writing? It's not that hard. I know I can do it. Why isn't it working now? This is something when I speak to clients and entrepreneurs in general that a lot of us encounter. So I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. Did that ever happen to you, Melody? Or do you know anyone? (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think oftentimes that I want to. (laughs) (laughs) And, And the thing is that we really don't like people telling us what to do. And that's a good thing in many cases. But that includes ourselves. And so when we see that somebody being us decided we were going to do this and planned it out like that, there is a little rebel in us that goes, I don't want to do this now. This is not what I want to do now. So the way that I've solved it for myself and a lot of my clients is what I call the, the creativity schedule. 
And so the creativity schedule is still a schedule you make on Sunday or whatever when you want to do it. But instead of putting down exactly what you're going to do in your calendar at what time, what day, you create a list, a separate list of all the things you want to do that week with priorities. If you know that you have things that really need to get done or whatever, I mean, do it the way you want to. But then when it comes to your calendar, you only mark the periods you're actually going to work. So the way it works for me is that on Sunday, I decide on Monday, I'm going to work from 8 to 11, and then I have a client, and then I'm going to continue from 2 to 5, and whatever. So I know when I'm going to devote time to work. And then when it is Monday morning, I take my list of things, and I'm free to pick what it is I want to work on first. Oh, okay. So you're not as rigid. Yes. And so because of that, the little rebel isn't activated. She's fine. She's like, yay, I can choose. I'm the boss. Right. Uh, (laughs) Even though we're just smarter, right? And that allows me to actually be much more productive than I would be if I had to follow a very strict schedule. Mm -hmm. That's that's very good, Marielle. You also mentioned... I think I saw somewhere that you did a TEDx uh, talk uh, in Bulgaria. Tell us about that experience. Wow, that was a big one. I wanted to do a good job. So I wrote out my talk and then I rehearsed it. And then I had a couple of trial runs with friends at home, giving me feedback. And then I perfected it and... And then on the day itself, it was really beautiful because it was a a theater with about seating for 400 people, something like that. It was pretty full. I don't remember how many people were were there, but it was pretty full. A beautiful stage and a wonderful experience, really. So so your topic was about not believing everything that you think, right? Exactly. Exactly. I, I like I like the, the title uh, as well. So let's talk about that. Not believing okay. everything <laughs> that, that you think, uh, because I, I think that is key. We all live in our heads, right? So if we all just get stuck uh, as um, mm-hmm. as what we were talking about in terms of how to unstuck <laughs> ourselves, mm-hmm. we're stuck. It's kind of what's in your head, right? And and the belief. So share, share to our audience, how was that talk? And, and what was the high level uh, of that speech? Well, it's a, it's a little bit what you just said, that we have to be very careful with what we believe. And you know, the, the, and, and this is really interesting because I started learning mindfulness. I think it was in 2011, something like that. And It was a 12-week or an eight-week course with a teacher, a mindfulness teacher. I'd never done something like that, Melody, ever. Before that, I'd always been in the doing, building my web agency, you know, doing all of these things and go, 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 and never really focusing on the mind and on meditation or any of those things. Never done that before. But I felt that something was going on and I needed a change. So I went and I signed up. And in the first class, one of the first things she said was, do you know that you are not your thoughts? And 
I heard that and I was flabbergasted. I was like, no, I didn't know that. I thought that everything that was in my head was mine. And so there was no separation really between me and what I was thinking. And because there was no separation between me and my thoughts, I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, because of course there is a lot going on in there. And if you take everything at face value, and if you believe everything that pops up, like it's constantly, you know, a fight between different ideas, different thoughts, everything going on in there. And so that was the first time that I was like, huh, maybe not everything that is happening up here is actually true. Right. And that's how I started to really look at what I was thinking and learn about, you know, how do beliefs come to be? How do emotions, because emotions and beliefs are very connected, right? And very often there is an action reaction, but the belief itself is something you create based on experiences, based on what people tell you, based on culture. So how much of these things really are your own? And I think in entrepreneurship, because especially when you're a solopreneur or when when you're building your business, you know, from the ground up and and you're all in, your business can only grow as much as you as the person behind the business. And so it's really important to get a grip of what's really going on inside of you. It helps you to make better decisions, to be calmer, to have less stress, and just in general to be happier. Right. Right, right. So see, I have my mindfulness bell because it's it's one of those that I have been very, very interested, you know, since back in 2014 or early, earlier, much earlier, you know, to the point that I would go to different uh, parts of the world <laughs> to, to, to listen to talks. And really, if you look at my YouTube, it's a lot about mindfulness and, you know, from, from all these really gifted spiritual uh, teachers that really has helped me. And, and I think it's great that they're out there, you know, with that new thought, because again, it goes back to, to those set of beliefs that if people would just have those traditional way of thinking where they think that's the only way and that's the only right way that's where they could get again going back to the stuck you know how can one progress right mm-hmm. and, and and being open and being flexible and always learning and evolving would be how one could could again go back to progression and evolution right so so i'm with you on the mindfulness and the power really the power of it and once you master your mind and your thoughts and what and all the mental chatter you know the mental chatter uh that happens and what you then allow to to become an impression in your head and what you then say you know what nope uh that i need to flick out and not even entertain. But just to piggyback on, on what you said, it's also mastering what they call self-observation. You know, if you if you observe things like your thoughts, like, okay, I felt excited or I felt nervous or, you know, I was fearful, I was scared. And But instead of saying I, you say it, 
<laughs> apparently. Mm-hmm. So it was scared. It was, so it's, you're not owning it because mm-hmm. you're only observing, right? Mm-hmm. And once I think you master your thoughts, then you really become the emperor of your world, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and again, it goes back to that belief where what it is, what is belief really? It's just a set of thoughts or views that you continue to, to believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for mm-hmm. truth. <laughs> I, I, I love what you just said, you know, and I think also mastering your thoughts and mastering self-observation allow you to change your beliefs easier. Right. And everybody always thinks, or not everybody, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of people, and I used to be like that, think things are the way they are, you know, that everything is static or we want things to stay the same. But if there is one truth in the world is that everything's always evolving and changing. And that is true for our beliefs too. Right. So when somebody says, I could never do that, I like to very gently challenge that and go like, why? Like, really, why couldn't you? Like, what's the show me the written law that says you couldn't do it? And, you know, even laws can be bended. So, like, what is really the truth of you saying you could never do that? Mm-hmm. And another thing, too, when, when it comes to uh, self-observation and like dissociating really from the thoughts and the beliefs is that you, you start to dismantle them. And you need, in a way, to do that. You need to look at them and to take them apart and to go like, oh, but this really isn't anything. This is just because thoughts can keep us stuck, one thing, but they can keep us very miserable for a long time as well. Yeah. And I don't know how many times I've heard clients who desperately want to change careers, start a business, grow their business, stay stuck for a very long time just because they believe certain things usually about themselves but also about the world or you know or or they will overthink themselves out of an idea even before trying it out Mm -hmm. right they start very excited I'm going to start copywriting because I'm such a good writer and I think it would be fun And then they go, oh, but I heard somebody say all copywriters, you know, make very little money and the clients are really bad and they have to work for almost nothing and And then the circle of overthinking, they haven't done anything, right? They've never seen a copywriting (laughs) client. It's all happening here. And sometimes it happens not in the split of a second, but it can happen in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. They go from being super excited to I could never do that. And I like to challenge that because none of those ideas have been verified. Right. So you have to test them out, right? So, so that goes back to also what you said about your, your TED Talk on being uh, open and, uh, and having that continuous curiosity, right? Yes. And I think going back to the self-observation, they said, and you also mentioned uh, disassociation. So if, when you disassociate, another thing to do apparently is to always have that sense of wonderment. You're just, you're, you're, you're thinking, wow, this is fascinating. You know, wow, this is, uh, this is wonderful that, that this is what this person is feeling, or this is the emotion uh, that's happening. And it's a matter of also you know, observing yourself inside, like, what are you really feeling? And then they say how to disassociate 
is then mindfully looking at your outside world like hmm, okay so uh, so like the temperature is, is perfect is perfect here or hmm, the lighting is a little bit intense or whatnot so you're literally literally pulling your mind to look at what's going on and that will make you uh, feel the, the presence you know being being present in the moment because um as we all know, we only have now, right, Marielle? <laughs> mm-hmm. that, is so <laughs> that is so true. And I, and I love that. I love that you said that. And, you know, curiosity and wonder are two of my most important values. And I try to give them to everybody that I meet because you have to be willing to do experiments. Like life, when you think about it, is one big experiment, right? We're all trying things out and sometimes we are lucky and sometimes we fail and hopefully we're more lucky than fail, you know, than failures, whatever. But so that's why I love to send my clients out on experiments they can do because that also is a way to detach, right? It's not really, they're not claiming anything they're not changing their lives they're just trying out a new suit or you know so I had a client recently who really really wanted to get on stage start public speaking she has wonderful things to say she's a survivor from you know a lot of of very harsh things and she's incredible but she was so strongly she believed so strongly that she didn't have the courage to go on a stage. And so you can't really, just like you cannot think yourself into a new business or career, you also can't think yourself into courage. You have to go out and feel it, right? That's what you were saying when you were talking about, I think that's how I understood it. Like you get back to the now and you allow your body to be present with your mind. And that's how you really can experience things. And so the experiment was for her to just for one day, pretend she had all the courage in the world and see how that would change the way she behaved, the way she felt, the way she, and um, she, she did more than one day because she really liked it. She said, I don't know why I should stop. You know, now that I know how this works, I'm just going to continue. But the thing is she felt it somatically, like she felt it in her body. And all of a sudden, even if it's not built in a day, even if it's, take, if, if it's gonna take a while for her to get there, she saw that she actually could. So she transformed the belief by doing the experiment and pretending. Uh-huh. So, so Maria, yeah, with, with that experiment, I think it, it's a good, good time to talk about the, the fear of failure. Because you also mentioned about, about obviously there's fear and how do you overcome that to achieve whatever it is uh, that you want to achieve? So what would be like your, your main nugget for our listeners out there when obviously, you know, there are times where they are faced with, with fears and that fear could be paralyzing? Mm-hmm. What would yeah, you and, and especially if we're talking about the fear of failure, right? That's the one we want to address or mm-hmm. do you want to? Yeah. Okay. So the fear of failure, in my opinion, is very much connected to perfectionism. Because they're, I'm not going to say they're two sides of the same coin, but they're very familiar with each other. People who tend to be perfectionists tend to not like failure, like at all. And people who are less perfectionistic, sort of, they, nobody likes to fail, but you know, they're fine. They can fail. It's not going to stop them from doing something. 
So the real good advice that I can give when it comes to fear of failure is actually to expose yourself to failing. And the way, and I'm not saying, go, well, actually I am saying go out and look for failure because that's going to force a perfectionist to not wait for perfection to do something, right? Because that's a little bit what keeps them stuck. They're like, it's not good enough yet. And if it's not good enough, I'm going to fail. So in fact, we're hitting two birds with one stone because if we start to produce good enough things because we want to experience failure, what we're actually doing is moving forward and away from perfectionism as we move closer to accepting failure in our life, which probably won't be that dramatic anyway. Uh -huh. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, as a matter of fact, that reminds me while you were you were uh, sharing this uh, founder of uh, Spanx, Sarah Blakely. So mm. she spoke to uh, she spoke to our group way back, and she shared how her father would actually celebrate the the failures or the no's that 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 they experienced or that she experienced. So mm. so yes, you say high five on on things that are that you've done really well, but it's also double high five <laughs> type of thing if there were failures or there were mistakes that you then learn from right so mm -hmm. and, and with sales that's also part of, of my venture so I have my agency there's a lot of that rejection or or that fear of failure that happens when you're maybe presenting or you're doing your cold calling or what have you right yeah um and and being able to just, you know, face it and how, how do you face it, right? So basically, it's keeping track of the nose. So it's okay. Mm -hmm. Celebrate the nose. How many nose did you, did, did, did you get, right? And knowing that if you put a ticker mark because it's a no, it's still, it's still a good feeling. There's always that psychological uh, good feeling when you're like checking off <laughs> something, mm -hmm. something. So it's a good way to kind of use the, the fear of failure, to then say, you know what, it's totally okay, you know, to fail. As a matter of fact, we're going to keep track of that. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, they say there's something mentally beneficial uh, when you not really celebrate, but you you acknowledge it and know that it's just part of the whole game, right? Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, actually, this reminded me of another experiment because I love doing experiments with myself as well because we're also always looking to sort of, you know, change and like be more of the potential that we could be. And so what I do is I, it's a game, right? And it's a game of either you get the yes or you get the no. And I switch things around and the no becomes the price. Uh -huh. So when I, when I call or when I, and, and I used to do a lot of sales calls when I had my web agency. And so what I would do is I would say, I'm actually not calling for a yes. I'm calling for a no. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, and when I get the no, that's when I'm going to feel, you know, all the good stuff that happens when you get a notification on Instagram or you, when you get a gift or when you win something. So the win was the no. And what happened was it took a while, though, you know, but over time, I completely desensitized to rejection at least in sales calls. I'm not going to say it's the same in my private life and all those other things. Although I have to say, it's probably much easier for me today than it was, you know, when I started. Mm 
but um, not attaching any value to the no that you are going to get or attaching success to it is actually a way to use the plasticity of our brain to make it so much easier. So I like that because it goes back to the power of your mind, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so, so with that, you can then say, yes, the belief before was you only do a thumbs up when you're, when you get a yes. Now, hey, why not do two thumbs up if it's a no, right? Exactly. <laughs> Nobody's now exactly. going to say that that's just uh, the way to experience joy, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Now, as we wrap up, you mentioned that you co-founded or you founded several startups. And we have a lot of our audience who are entrepreneurs or thinking of doing startup ventures. So let's briefly uh, touch on that. How was your experience and uh, what do you think would be, what is your main reason for for success uh, with your startups? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, not all of them were successful. I think it's important to mention that as well, right? When we try out a lot of things, sometimes they're not going to succeed. And that's fine because we just said, you know, failure is a win too because you learn a lot. So I did learn a lot from those as well. I think the most delightful part for me was to really have an idea and then realize that with the right skills, the right people, the right investors, because obviously you need some money, not always, right? You can bootstrap things as well. But in my case, we were looking for for funding. It forces you to up-level your game. It forces you to really want to do things the best way that you can. And it's an incredibly fast learning curve. And so every, you know, even today, because, because of circumstances, I'm no longer, I no longer have participation in, in the, the specific startup that I'm thinking about now and that I'm sharing, but the experience was incredible. And To this day, with everything that I do and everything that I share with my clients, I'm still using the lessons that I learned during that process. Mm -hmm. So I would say the most important one has remained to this day, hire really qualified people. Surround yourself with people who know the stuff you do not know and don't be afraid to invest. Of course, try to do it in a pragmatic way and in a clever way and have a business plan and think about, you know, your, all of that, of course, but don't be afraid to do it. Mm-hmm. So, so what I heard is, um, you know, reacting quickly, doing things with failing fast, right? So they say, especially in the Silicon Valley uh, world, it's important to execute and, and if you got to fail, you fail faster, then you, yeah. then you can regroup, <laughs> regroup exactly. And, exactly. And, um, and come up with another game plan or what have you. You also write uh, for, for Forbes, right? So I saw a few articles. Tell us about the nine to five that were really not meant. I mean, something about there's more to life than just the nine to five uh, job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, my, my, in my day to day, what I help people do is to transition into new careers. And 
start businesses or, or build businesses. And what I found is that very often when somebody comes to me with a nine to five job and they're looking to transition into a different career, they're not even thinking about entrepreneurship. What happens when we work together for a while and they really start to think about what they truly want, they realize they do not want that life anymore. And they want more freedom. They want to be in control of, you know, the work they do and how they do it and when they do it. And so very often I joke and I say that working with me potentially might mean they're going to become entrepreneurs because, of course, we never know in advance, but there is a big chance that happens. And I think the reason for that is because there is something a little bit off with the way work used to be where there was a very clear transaction between for this amount of time, you're going to come into an office, my office, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And in exchange for that, I'm going to give you some money. That worked, you know, up until maybe 10 or 15 years ago, 20, maybe 10 years ago. But it's not a very sustainable system anymore because people are waking up to the fact that there is more to life and to them than just selling their labor for money. They need purpose and they need to be part of something bigger and they need to know that what they do matters. And very often, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, Please continue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, very often in, in companies, especially the older companies that still have the older blueprint, that's lacking, right? And that's why we see a lot of people coming and going and a lot of, a lot of people wanting to change their lives, starting businesses, etc., because they feel like there is really something wrong with that old paradigm. What's interesting is with the pandemic, right? I think it was in the news last week where they came up with this crazy statistics on how many people are doing an exodus <laughs> on their on their current job. I said literally in that week there were this much resignation letter that were were um were given. So there is a lot of people that are either A contemplating on leaving the workforce or B have already and are are searching and are venturing into to something new. So so the pandemic has created that that paradigm, uh, you know, shift for for a lot of people. And now they are rethinking the the way that they would spend their hours, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so yes, there's that that's going on, and for entrepreneurs this is where evolution also would come because knowing that what are ways, you know, to really make sure that the retention, the the attraction and retention of your workforce are, are, are there, right. That also has to evolve it. And I like what you said, because I think that that is very crucial for entrepreneurs to be mindful of, of uh, creating that purpose. What is the bigger picture? What, yeah. How do you then communicate with your your staff, with your with your team, that what they do matter? So so mm-hmm. those things are now something that was perhaps at the back end, but now that has to really be in the forefront 
of mm-hmm. what you then communicate, you know, to your to your staff, to your team, to your new hire when you onboard, what's the purpose, what you know, what you do matter, all that you said really have to be communicated effectively mm-hmm. for the for the workforce to stick. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, they all have their their mind set elsewhere. And as employers, you know, the, the turnover is, is excre- extremely painful. Be the, the cost, the cost. Yeah, it's costly. It's really, it's, it's very costly. expensive. So You're then, training someone. I'm sorry, go ahead. You're training. You know, yeah. I agree. It's when you drain your workforce, all of a sudden, of course, you have to replace them. And the training, you know, as, as you mentioned, requires a lot of time, energy, and, and, and money, you know, investment. So, so yes, it's an ever-evolving, it's an ever-evolving phase in uh, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. It's so, true. So for our audience out there who want to know more about your, your coaching and, and what you do, uh, where could they reach you, Maria? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at Muriel Marie, and they can also check my website, which is www.murielmarie.com. There is a couple of things you can download there. There is a couple of ways to get in touch with me. So I want to really invite everybody to do that. I love to get into conversations and to hear about people and what they're looking for. So don't hesitate to do that. And yes, so your your website has a lot has a lot of uh, of good information about about your work, even your TED Talk and your other guestings podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of good uh, valuable uh, information from you. So that concludes our show, Muriel. Thank you again for for being here. I know with Antwerp, your your uh, time zone is much different than here in in Los Angeles, but you're here, so I appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Melody. It was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Yes, and for all our dreamers out there. Keep believing. You got this. Till next time. All right. We didn't even need to do this, Marielle. <laughs> no. We I did. Is it, right. Do you think it's what you wanted for your audience? Oh, definitely. Yes. No, yeah. for sure. Okay. For sure. Perfect. Very much talking to, to the entrepreneurs those are, who are thinking of change. We're trying to do current events here. Uh, how's the, the corona situation there? Good. Well, it's much, much better. They're lifting all of the restrictions as we speak because the Omicron variant isn't making anybody sick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's going... But we had 300,000 people get it yesterday, I think. So oh. it's like spreading, yeah, it's like spreading like wildfire, but nobody is actually landing in the hospital. So right, right, right. So let's, how is it on your end? Because let's hope we see this is the tale of the pandemic, hopefully. You know, good point, good point. It was actually, I think, the other day that amidst all the crazy crazy negativity there's that good news because uh, i'm in burbank and they say that it's the first time where really it's almost uh if it's not declining there's really not a whole lot of any reported uh case which is uh oh wow which is awesome and and going back to what you're saying yes there's that virus but hey you know what Everyone is surviving it, you know, not that wood, thank God, right? So hopefully, as you said, it, it is at the tail end. Yes. Can, oh, it's all in the mind, right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and, and we may, we forgot to say about the, 
the belief, the beliefs, it really is what creates your reality. <laughs> it's, yeah, we did. We didn't say that, but it's true. Absolutely. All right. So usually it takes two weeks, uh, two weeks to three for us to have your, your trailer and, you know, your, your full grown episode. But we have a very oh, wow. good community in, in YouTube who supports and engages. So we're, we're, we're happy and proud of that. And yeah. So if you have any questions in the meanwhile, my darling, don't forget, don't hesitate. I'm here. I haven't been to, to Belgium. So maybe one of these days I'll, uh, you'll see an email from me to say, hey, you know what? Absolutely. You have to let I'm me know when you something. when you pop over. Absolutely. Right, right. And same with you. If you're here in Hollywood, feel free to reach out. I'm, I will. Um, you know, I think it's in my culture. We're extremely hospitable and I personally like people. <laughs> ah, wonderful. <laughs> All right, my darling. Thanks again uh, for reaching out. And, and finally, we're here, right? Yes, absolutely. All right, good talk to you. Bye. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Take care.